Have you noticed the world is changing around us a little bit? Isn't it crazy how fast things change these days? Uh, some of you are like, that's because you're 60, you think. No, it's not that sad. But, but I'll tell you what 60 does for you. When you've lived this long, which I know for some of you, you're like, you're just a kid. And I know that. But what it does is it gives you perspective that you do not have when you're younger. Does anybody remember how it was when you were, like, see these young people that are sitting up here? How old are you guys? Just say it out loud. 16. 16. 16. Nine. 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 <laughs> nine. <laughs> He's not nine, but that is something a 16-year-old would say. <laughs> For the rest of you guys, do you remember those ages? Remember how the world was? Now, I could date myself because I'm 60, but I graduated. From, what, what year are you guys going to graduate? 2024. 2028. 2028. Whoa. 2028. What year for you guys? 2024. 2024? Man. When you were in high school, do you remember what 2000, the year 2000 sounded like? Some of us? Because I graduated in 1980. David North and I graduated in 1980. Um, and 2020 was not even in my mind. I mean, I couldn't even fathom that. Even the, remember the book 1984? We had to read that in school, and that seemed like a long ways away. The world is changing. And the values that you see in the world today are changing. And I, you know, we, we talk about this a lot, and, and I want to keep reminding you why we're talking about these things. First of all, it's to strengthen your faith. And then the second part of it is to, to give you an opportunity or give you tools by which you can either share with people you know, friends and family, to lead them to the Savior, because that is the goal. That's the whole point. We want to take as many people with us to heaven as we possibly can. I don't know if you noticed this, but in today's culture, it seems like people like Jesus, but they don't like the church. Have you noticed that? Now, we'll talk about that a little more in a minute, whether or not they really even know who Jesus is to like, But it seems like they're cool with him, but not with us. Have you thought about that for a minute? I kind of get it. You know why? Because the church is kind of people-y, right? And people... (laughs) David goes, yes. It is people-y, right? Have you noticed when you get groups of people together, they're not all perfect? Have you noticed? It It could really be any group. But you'll always have certain people that maybe annoy you, maybe don't follow the rules, maybe don't get along, maybe they cause issues. Now granted, to be fair, hopefully the church does better than other groups, right? Because we're trying to follow Jesus. But in what happens is that makes it when we fail or stumble, it makes it a little more obvious. Because we have this standard that we're trying to live up to. See, it's different for a lot of people. Like, they don't have this standard. So you know what? If we're down here, what did you expect? That's what we are, right? I I mentioned this example not too long ago, and it it just reverberates in my mind constantly. I told you that I had piano lessons. Remember I told you that? But I'm not a piano player. I'm not. I'm really good at scales. I can play them all still. I did it the other day just just to see if I could do it. But it's just memory. It's not like I know what I'm doing. And I can play inversions you guys know what those are? Anybody? On the chords? Like the thirds and fifths? But if I sat down to play Beethoven, it would be horrible. I mean, it, would be, it wouldn't be anything. It'd be blah, 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 blah. But would you blame Beethoven? 
you will blame me. And when people blame the church for not acting like Jesus, it's really, the fact is, Jesus is still perfect, and we are striving for this. So I get why they don't like the church sometimes, but there's other reasons they don't like the church. And if we're honest about it, some of it's just the way we do church. Some people don't like the systems that are built around church. And that might be why you all are in this church rather than a different church, because different churches have different systems or different ways they do it or different styles of worship. I know for me, as I go, uh, you know, maybe online and watch different people's church services, I'm trying to learn something or get something. And, you know, there's times where I'm watching something and I'm not, I'm not being critical. It's just like, huh, I don't think I'd do it that way. I, I prefer this. Some people just don't like it that way. Some people don't like to get up and go to church. I get that. I mean, you, you know, it takes effort. You're, you're getting out of bed earlier. This doesn't always happen, but this morning at, at 6 a.m., I thought, hmm, it'd be nice to not get up to, at 6 a.m. today. I mean, I never thought about not getting up. I'm just saying I get it, right? I got things to do today. You ever feel like that? I've got things I want to do. And I don't come here because I have to. I come here because I want to. But I do have other things to do. So I think about, I understand, I get that. Some people don't like the accountability. Can we be honest about that? I mean, if you are going to say, I'm going to be part of a church, that means that you're going to be around other Christians and you tacitly, at least, give them a little bit of a look into your life. Now, you can fake it. We all do, right? I tried to find the cleanest, neatest shirt I had today. And when people ask me how I'm doing, I'm going to say what? Fine, good, okay. Because I know they're not really asking for a rundown of every issue in my life. So I get that. That at church sometimes we act a little nicer and better than we are. But, but if you get involved and if you become part of a group, then you, you also have some accountability. And not everybody wants that. Right? It would be, sometimes we just don't want people looking into places in our life. And I don't want people knowing too much. Because if they know too much, they might ask questions. If they might ask questions, I might have uncomfortable answers, right? So when people say they don't like the church, I think there's good reasons for them not to like it. What I mean by good is I understand them. I don't think it's good for them. I don't think it's good for their soul. The other thing is, there is a certain amount of responsibility involved in a church or with a church. As a a pastor, my job is laid out in Ephesians 4. It says I'm supposed to equip the saints for acts of service, and that, that does mean that there's times where I might uh, call people on accountability or ask them questions or see how they're doing. Or, and that can be uncomfortable. I get it. I get it. But here's the thing. The church was Jesus' idea. It was his idea. He made it up. In fact, this is a word that didn't actually, wasn't associated with religion until Jesus did. And it's, it's a Greek, or it, well, the, the word church, ecclesia, is in Greek because we get it out of the New Testament. It actually was a group of people that gathered for an idea. It was mostly used in a political sense. Isn't that funny? The church was politics at one time. The word. And then what happened over time, it, it was an assembly. That's where we get our name, assembly of God. The word would be interpreted as people who assemble for a purpose. And then later, hundreds of years, thousands of years later, they took the German word karch and then made that church. I almost wish we'd never called it church. 
Because people associate that with a building, but it's not. It's a group of people. It's an assembly. It's a, it's a uniting of thoughts and minds around a purpose. And the purpose is to tell people how to get to heaven. And the purpose is to live better lives. And the purpose is to be more like Jesus. Here's his idea. In Matthew 16, uh, the, the eyewitness Matthew, he, he has this account. This, this story he's telling here is found in three of the Gospels. And they all tell the same story. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Who do they say I am? I got to go to that Caesarea Philippi when I was in Israel. It's pretty amazing. Could you show that first picture? When you get there, it's really a beautiful place. It's actually, it was created by uh, Caesar, one of the Caesars, to honor uh, Philip. And if you look from the distance, if you look at that, there's that huge hole in there. Do you see that huge hole? That's actually a spring which feeds the Jordan River. It's about 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. And then you see in the bottom of the picture all that rushing water. That's coming from that spring right there. That's what it looks like today. But you know how people are. Back in Jesus' time, they had built all these temples around that. It was a very pagan place. Go ahead and show that next picture. That's just another, that's kind of similar. Show the next one there. Sorry about that. Boom. That is an artist's rendition of what they think it might have looked like. So if you see on the far left, you see that cave opening? That would have been the temple to Pan. You guys remember Pan, who he was? Very lascivious, party animal, literally half animal, half man. And then the other ones were, were also niches and temples to other gods. Go ahead and show that next picture. This shows kind of an aerial view of that spring. Now, the water you can't see because it's rushing underground right there, but it bubbles up right in that spring. And that's what's left of it today. Go ahead and show the next one. There's, you can see the water down there. I just thought you should see it. I think, do we have one more picture? Yep, that shows some of the niches as they still exist. But at the, at back in Jesus' day, it would have been covered with that. So Jesus takes the peop, his disciples there And then he says to them, he asks them, who do people say the Son of Man is? I want us to get a picture of what's going on right here. Jesus has his followers. He's been telling them who he is. He's been doing miracles. He has incredible crowds following him everywhere. And he's asking them, who do men say that I am? Now remember, I started this sermon talking about the fact that people in the world tend to like Jesus, but not his followers. But who do people think he is? Who are they following? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Who do people say he is today? When they say they like him, who do they say he is? They say all sorts of things. They say he's a good teacher, a a moral teacher. It's funny, there's a little controversy popping up saying he was, whether he was white or not. You know what? I, I just laugh at that. I mean... He couldn't have been white. He wasn't, there wasn't white. You know what's interesting to think about? In the Bible, there's only like three or four, maybe five references to people's color and ethnicity in the entire Bible. And yet today, we so, we're so fixated on that. That wasn't an issue for them. It was about people. It wasn't about the color. It's ridiculous. People in the world today, though, they like to use Jesus as long as they can promote their own agendas with him. That's what they're doing. But the question still rings today. 
And I want you to deal with the question today. Who do you say he is? If you're watching online, who do you say he is? Not who he is to you, but who do you say he is? Who is he? It matters. I don't want to be overdramatic. I don't think I can with this. It's all that matters. It's the only thing that really matters is who you say he is. It's all that matters. It's everything. Is he your buddy? Is he a friend? Is he an acquaintance? Here's the real question. Is he Lord? We don't use that word in English very much. Well, at least not in America. We don't have lords, right? Here's the thing. Is he Lord? Who is he to you? Notice I'm not asking who he is to your family, your parents, or your nation, or your city, or your church. Or He doesn't have grandkids. It's you and him. And is he Lord? <laughs> I think a lot of people are comfortable with Jesus being near them, but not over them. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? And Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Let's break that down for a second. He said Messiah, which is interesting that that Matthew uses the word Messiah. The reason it's interesting is because most of his gospel is written in Greek, but he chose to use the Hebrew version of the word. Do you know what the Greek version of the word Messiah is? It is, it's Christ. I know I've heard kids say, I thought that was Jesus' last name, Jesus Christ. Well, actually, it's not. That's Jesus' name, Jesus, and then his title, which is Christ. So Jesus Christ. In Hebrew, it would be Yeshua HaMashiach. Same names. Messiah. What does that mean? He was the anointed one, the chosen one. Even Jesus' first name is packed with meaning. It means the Lord saves. Jesus' literal name is, I am here to save you. In case you didn't get it, when Jesus was, was in his mother's tummy, well, actually, right before that, the angel comes to Mary and says, you are going to name him Jesus because he will save his people. And she could have easily said, well, you just said that. That's his name. The Lord saves. And then his title is the anointed one, the chosen one, the deliverer. Now, I guarantee you, when when Peter said that, he, he had things in mind. I, I'm afraid one of the things he had in mind is that Jesus would deliver them, yes, but what he was probably more concerned about was deliver them from what? And I think one of the things that would have been big in his mind is Roman occupation. It's difficult for us to even fathom what it's like. Us as Americans, we've never been occupied. You ever think about that? I don't know what that's like. And unless you've lived overseas or maybe served in the military, I don't know if you can even come close to understanding what that meant for the Jews. The Jews, they were living in their ancestral lands. God had given them this land. He told Abraham, all of this land is yours. And then back in their history, they had these glory days with King David and then King Solomon. Wealth and kings would come to visit their kings. And it was a beautiful place to live. And that's not where they were today, in this day. And when, when Peter said, deliverer, Messiah, the one who's going to come and deliver, I'm sure that part of it was to get rid of these pagan overlords. Think about what they were doing to the Jewish land. 
They brought in all this paganism. They allowed all of these temples and things, even the ones that were nearby them, were pagan. The Jews didn't want those there. The very coins that they used had pagan gods on them. Most Jews, if they were to touch that pagan god, they would feel like they were ceremonially unclean to go to the temple. It's hard to even imagine. They felt like their very land, the inheritance God had given them, was desecrated, and they wanted delivered. These occupiers could tell them to carry their gear for them or tell them to provide a room for them, feed them. All of these things that we, as modern Americans, can't even comprehend. For us, we always go to the spiritual, which is fine. It's good. Because he did come for that. What Peter may not have fully understand at that moment, he did obviously later, but Jesus came to deliver. When he was the Messiah, what he came to do is deliver them from sin. To deliver their hearts from selfishness and bondage. Sin that would take their resources Sin that promises more than it can ever deliver takes you farther than you want to go and it costs you more than you ever thought it would be cost. From sin being their king, from sin ruling them, from self being their king. Jesus goes on to explain. He says to Peter, you are blessed, Simon, son of John. That's Peter's name. Because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you, you are Peter, which means rock. He's he's doing a wordplay there. Upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. I want you to visualize what was happening there. Remember I just showed you where they were? You remember all the pagan temples that were there? When he said that, there's all these rocks. It was an incredibly rocky place. And Peter's name, Petro, Petro, Petros, literally means rock. So he's talking about this declaration. Yes, I am the Messiah. I am Jesus, the son of the living God. And upon that rock, and I'm sure he waved at all these rocks, and he said the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What you may not realize is that pagan temple to Pan was actually called, and that area was called the gates of hell. Because it had all of those temples there, and they were pagan. They were, they were idols to demons. And what he's saying is, this gates of hell will never prevail against my church. He is building a church that is, that is beyond attack. But Jesus stops right there, and he says, From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem, that he would suffer terrible things at the hands of the elders and leading priests and the teachers of the religious law. He would be killed, and on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. I'm sure they're just like, it's it's like, boom, boom, boom. Wait, wait, you just said you were God and the the gates of hell wouldn't prevail, and now you're telling us you're going to have to die? Do you see this? He's just being boomeranged back and forth. And Peter takes Jesus aside to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, this will never happen to you. And then Jesus says to Peter, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. I I struggle with that. Do you? How do you not see things from a human point of view? 
How do you not wonder? God, where are you in the middle of my problems? Just as Pastor Nick was talking about. How do you not see that? How do you not look at those things and say, God, I need you now. I need you to fix this, this way. Tomorrow, 9 a.m. I'm sure he chuckles just like that. And he says, children, my child, I'm doing things you cannot even imagine in ways you cannot see because all you see is the physical. It is interesting, though, isn't it, that Jesus calls Peter Satan? I mean, how embarrassing would that have been? Can you imagine Peter's ego in that moment? And we don't know if if he was out of earshot of the other disciples. Clearly not, because Matthew records it. Can you imagine Peter walking back over to these guys? And they're like, hey, Satan, what's up? Hey, buddy. Right? Why would they put that in the Bible? You ever wondered that? Why would they even put it in there? I mean, do you think Peter called Matthew up and like, dude, really? Did you have to add that part? That's really embarrassing. Why would they do that? You know why? Because it happened. What we're reading here are eyewitness accounts, and they record it as it happened. All the warts, all the embarrassments, all the insults. I mean, that is brutal. And if you're following along in the YouVersion Bible app, I put a link to Frank Turek. Dr. Frank Turek has an organization called Cross-Exam, and it's a great apologetics website. He calls these embarrassing eyewitness details, and there's a ton of them. There's a ton of these in the New Testament, that if you were making up a story and you were going to be the leader of the church that you're making up, you wouldn't have the, the person who gave you the church call you a Satan. You just wouldn't do that. And we know that. It just gives it authenticity. If you're following along right now, you think Jesus has been radical up to this point? He has not. I know that the disciples were sitting there. Like I said, they're boomeranging back and forth. Wait a minute. You're Messiah, King of the Jews. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And then now you're going to have to die. And Jesus takes each of those things and he piles it even higher. And this is what he says next. If any of you wants to be my follower, I'm sure most of them are like, what are you talking about? We are here right now. We're following you. And he's saying, if you want to be my follower, which I think most of you are thinking, I'm already his follower. If you want to be my follower, and the world who loves Jesus, maybe they don't understand this. He says, you must deny yourself. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Now, Jesus had not been crucified yet, but they were super familiar with crosses. The Romans used them all the time. It was an intimidation factor. It was a way for them to, to show criminals, you do this, you get this. It works. And Jesus says, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. All that seems so backward, doesn't it? And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you lose your soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? So what's he talking about? Deny what? Deny yourself? The New Living Translation says, give up your own way. I like my way. Don't you? Don't you? (laughs) Our culture today, they say, what does it say? Be yourself. Fly your flag. Follow your heart. You do you. I actually said that to someone today, and I thought, oh, (laughs) find yourself. Jesus is radical. 
He always was. He was that day in the gates of hell, literally at, at, at Caesarea Philippi, and the disciples going back and forth. He's radical today. That same call to deny yourself for them is for us and for our world. And if you deny yourself in this world, you're going to be radically different. You're going to be radically different. I'm going to say it this way. I'm, I'm not trying to step on toes, but so be it. If you're comfortable in this world and you're going with the flow, just so you know, that's what dead things do. They just float down. Live things don't do that. I know not all of us fish. I know that. But if you see something floating by, you don't want to catch that. I'm just saying. It's probably not good. It's probably dead. Jesus is countercultural. He was then. He is now. Somebody might say, well, what about, I thought he, I thought he made us in, in a certain way. Yes, he does. He does. He makes you special, unique, at conception, that moment of conception, there is a brand new individual with new talents, brand new, everything new. But when you want to know who God made you be, you ask him, not you. He made us all different, but he made us look. It's not even about that. What this is about is who's going to be in charge. Who's in charge? That's what it's about. When he says, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, that means he's Lord and he's in charge. And that's a high call. But you have to answer the question, who's in charge? Is it you? He just said, deny yourself, so it shouldn't be you. (laughs) Is it your feelings? God have mercy. Is it your political party? Your family? Your wife? Come on, guys, you say yes, right? She's in charge. But after her, it needs to be your job. You've probably heard these sayings. I, I looked all these up, and I'm only sure. Look, there's too many chefs in a kitchen. You know, you're right. Too many cooks spoil the broth. You've heard that, right? We all get that, right? I love this one. Anything with two heads is a freak. Have you heard that one? Let me say it this way really clearly. If he's not Lord of all, He's not Lord at all. Now look, I know, I know that's countercultural. I know that's radical. The world doesn't say that. But you know what? It, it, it never did. He didn't come to match the world. He came to set a standard for us that's night and day different. He does give us the desires of our heart as long as they're in, in line with his will. Why would he give you a snake? I mean, he says that. He can give you bread. He's not going to give you a snake. He wants the best for you. We need to be submitting to that and praying that God's will would be done in our lives all along. How do we do that? How do you deny yourself? Is he saying for you to deny your basic needs? Sometimes. Because when you do that and give your focus and mind to him, it changes things. Changes things. Fasting, if you're fasting food, it puts, puts your values on something else. I don't know about you, but I can follow my belly around town pretty easy. <laughs> Anybody else like me? There's times when I'm thinking, hmm, what am I going to eat tomorrow? And I just think about it. What would I want right now? Like, hmm. Somebody, somebody, somebody mentioned Go Chicken Go the other day, and I'm thinking, man, I need to make a way over there to get some gizzards. Because Anybody have their gizzards? 
Oh, glory to God, that's amazing. It's good for me to deny my physical cravings and focus on spiritual things. I grow when I do that because I'm growing the right things. What you feed grows. Try not to make jokes about my belly again, but what you feed grows. What you feed grows. You grow your spirit, then you grow with God. You do that. And you do that a lot of times by denying the physical. You know what else you deny? I've made a list. This might be more for me, but you can just share with me. The need to be right. The need I have to demand forgiveness. The the need to get retribution. To be angry. I have to deny my need for revenge or envy. My need for things that I really don't need. My need to get my way, my need to be first, my need to be served. Sometimes even my need to be happy. Because my happiness a lot of times is very self-serving. And then what true happiness is, is in serving others. And yet we get so backward in the world that like, no, it's about me. Pastor Nick, if you could join me up here. Jesus took his disciples to a pagan place. Why would he do that? Super pagan. Why would he do that? You know, I heard somebody once say, maybe to get away from all the religious people for a minute. Ouch, I thought about that. I, like, I don't know that that was the reason, but maybe. I think it was more that he was so pushed by the crowds, he needed to get a place where he could just be alone with them for a moment. And I think Jesus was also very clever, and he wanted to use that backdrop. He wanted to say, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, but I'm going to build my church on this rock. And he wanted them to visualize that and never forget it. Man. You know what else? None of that was a threat to him. Do you realize that? I'll tell you, when you walk in there today, I don't feel evil. It's nothing. It's a desolate ruin. Now, in Jesus' day, it would have been beautiful and there would have been all that. I get that. But Jesus wasn't threatened by that. He wanted to visually illustrate, yes, that's what the world is, but you are not subject to that, and this will not prevail against you. Jesus could have easily said that today and just shown our whole world, and we would have been able to say, wow, that's intimidating, or yeah, that's crazy. But you know what? He's not intimidated by any of that either. And he wants you to realize whatever that was in Caesarea Philippi, we have the same things here, and you don't need to be intimidated by that. You know what else he wanted to, I think, use a juxtaposition in their world? You've got Pan, the half-goat playing, pipe-playing, lascivious, creepy beast thing. We have that too. You know what else he wants you to deny? It's yourself. Your, your strive, your craving to have some identity that, that supersedes or precludes what he wants for you. Money, power, popularity, self. I want to ask you a few questions. I just want you to think with me for a minute. Open your heart and mind for a second. Who do you say that he is? Who do you say? Is he a good teacher? Yeah. But that's not it. 
You can't be just that. He didn't give us that opportunity or leave that option to say it's just that. He's, got a, he's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. How does that mean? What does it look like? Pastor Dennis, what are you asking us or saying to us? Here's what I'm saying. You, you may be saying, yes, I like him, but is he Lord, Lord? So let's think about this in these terms. No, live tell. Do you know him? If he's really Lord and you want to know him, then you're going to study, you're going to pray, you're going to fast, you're going to spend time with him. You're going to give him that devotion time in your life because he's Lord. Is he really Lord? Are you going to live like that? I mean, in full commitment to him, do your choices reflect that he's Lord? And what you do with your time and your money and what you do with, with your, your words and your actions, how you respond to difficult situations. If he's really Lord and if, if what he is saying in your life matters, does it look like that? Can you tell by looking? The other thing is the telling part. You're going to tell people. You're going to tell people about him. You're going to speak even not just to individuals, but also to institutions who are inviting. He doesn't intend for us to live this separate enclave life. We're supposed to affect our society. And that, that has to do with voting and it has to do with speaking up at school boards. And, and you are supposed to be active in your community and a force for good. Or the whole gates of hell will not prevail against the church. You know why? Because the church is supposed to advance against that. I'm going to ask you to shut your eyes for a second. I want to ask that question again. Who is he to you? To you. Not your parents, grandparents, wife, husband, friends. To you. Is he Lord? If he's not Lord today, you can make him Lord. It's a simple thing with saying, God, I have, I have been trying to run everything, and I need you to run it. If you want to do that for the first time today and say, yes, I want to make him Lord. I just want you to raise your hand quick. We'll, we're going to pray with you. That's what we're going to do. I see the hand. I appreciate that honesty. Anybody else? Anybody else? All right, let me ask you another question. We're going to pray for this, with this person in a minute. But anybody else? I'm just curious. As I've been speaking today, maybe the Holy Spirit has given you maybe an uncomfortable sense in your in your, your spirit and your inside just thinking, man, I need to watch this or maybe he's, I haven't made him Lord in this because here's what happens. We make him Lord in the convenient parts of our life but not everything. Or we make him Lord in the things that make sense to us and then when we have an issue that crops up that just doesn't make sense and we're like, God, I don't see you in this. I'm not sure. We need to make him Lord there too. And I'm wondering if you're sitting here, you're a Christian but you just know that you haven't made him fully Lord and you need to today. Anybody like that today? If you just raise your hand. I see those hands. I appreciate your honesty. Would you all stand with me? I want to invite our, our prayer team. We have a prayer team here at the church. Carol Holzel runs that. We also have board, board and staff and their spouses. If you are prepared to pray with us today for people, we want to pray with you. We want to pray with you. So those folks are coming now, but if you need prayer for anything... Maybe, it, maybe it's about this lordship issue. Maybe it's an addiction that you can't seem to break. Maybe for you it's a healing, physical healing you need prayer for. 
Maybe for you, you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit. You want to fill filled with the Holy Spirit today. We will pray with you for that. So I want to invite you to come for prayer now. Don't wait. Come now. But I'm going to lead everybody in a general prayer. And as I do this, I'm going to pray specifically with that person who raised their hand and for anybody else. So if, again, if you need prayer for anything, come now. We want to pray. I would like the rest of you out there, though, for you to repeat this after me specifically with and for that person who raised their hand. And we want to make God Lord. Just repeat this after me. Father God, I'm sorry for putting myself first. I need you as Lord of my life. I surrender my life to you. I accept your Lordship. I need your forgiveness. I want you to guide me in everything. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, I want to invite you to pray with us. As Pastor Nick plays, we're going to continue to pray. If you need prayer for anything, please come on down. God bless you. Take this message to the entire world and tell them about who is Lord. Amen.